Hey, hey, good morning and happy Sunday. It's the top of the hour. Now, did you remember to set your clocks back? It is 8 a.m. Eastern. It's not 9 a.m. <laughs> so you didn't miss it. This is always a little bit confusing when the clocks change, right? But here we are. So listen, we have got a great show for you today. And if you're here, if you're seeing me, you are in Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit with Dr. Carol Penn. We have a super, super special guest for you today, but let's get into the mood with a little bit of our sound. Yes, we're going to get in. Here we go. Because it's what? It's Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit. Weightless, weightless. No matter what people say, you're full of greatness. greatness. Time you opened up your eyes, you were courageous. courageous. If only they could see you going through your paces. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Weightless. No matter what people say, you're full of greatness. Time you opened up your eyes. Good morning, welcome, and happy Sunday. You're here with Dr. Carol Penn, your host of Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit. And who am I? I am your triply board certified family medicine doc, obesity medicine specialist, and osteopathic manipulative medicine treatment specialist, as well as your master movement meditation and mindset coach, two-time, three-time, actually three-time, three-time best-selling author. So proud of my book, babies, my journal. I hope that everybody has a copy. It's so important to journal. Journal has Journaling has shown to be equivalent to meditation. So for those of you that struggle with any aspect of meditation, you might consider journaling. And then my book, Baby, Meditation in a Time of Madness. And it's the book that I hope that every family will have, that every classroom would have, because it is a guidebook for talented teens, tweens, their parents and guardians who need to thrive. And as we are creating perhaps um a better place to be in life. We need these fundamentals. We need to be able to cultivate resiliency. We need to be able to cultivate skills for self-regulation. And that's what these two tools are about. And I'm so privileged and happy and excited to be able to share my my skill set with people to make my contribution to make the world a better place. And let's see, who do we have here this morning before I bring my very special guest on? We have, oh, and a great big shout out. We have some special guests here at Shea Jep in New Jersey. So welcome to Mama Gladys. 
and to our dear friends, James and Anita. So we're so honored to have guests in our home this morning, joining us for the first time on Weightless in Mind, Body and Spirit. Hey, good morning, Linda, hashtag Meditation Nation. Good morning, Linda Parker Edwards, hashtag Meditation uh, Nation. Good morning, DM. Thank you so much as always for producing the show. Good morning and welcome, Michelle. I believe this is the first time you're joining us, so we're ex- so excited, so excited. Uh, yes, James Wilson is in the house, and Patricia, I told you, Patricia, Dr. Ian is here for you. He's here for us, and I know how much you admire and enjoy when Dr. Ian is in the house with us in the community. So listen, anybody do anything exciting this past week? I have to share, I was attending a live conference this weekend. I just got in from San Antonio. I was attending a conference for functional medicine folk with a sponsored by Freedom Practice Coaching. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous community. So great big shout out to Freedom Practice Coaching Community and Dr. Charles Webb. Uh, founder, mentor, friend. So it was wonderful. Although it was cold in Texas on that river walk, it was cold. No, 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 no. So we've got a Patricia, thank you so much. Yes, yes, I did share. I did enjoy Halloween last week. That's for sure. That's for sure. So what else has been going on? Oh, listen, um, I do have a wonderful new program that's kicking off next week. So for those of you that might be interested in learning more about how do you increase your energy, your vitality, your brain health, your lower blood pressure, reduce cholesterol, it really is through this whole approach, food as medicine, food as medicine. So scrolling across the bottom there, it's a wild fit 90 day challenge and just in time for the holidays, right? So that we can enjoy the holidays and we can also really redefine our relationship with food so that food fuels us and heals us and becomes a greater part of awareness and consciousness. So if you're interested, I want you all to go on over there. It's a opportunity. It's discounted. Or just shoot me an email if you're interested and you want more information. So what's my email? Info at drcarolpen.com, D-R-C-A-R-O-L-P-E-N-N.com, info at drcarolpen.com. Yes, yes, yes. So Patricia's saying her interesting thing was she helped a knitter with a traumatic brain injury, learn how to knit a hat in the round. She made two, one to donate to the veterans and one for herself. Very proud of Joanna. That is totally awesome, totally awesome. And let's see. There's the full Wild Fit Challenge. You can screenshot that. So go on over there and, you know, I can't wait. And I'll talk to anybody in detail offline um, about what this program is about and what the opportunities are. And if you have, listen, if you're curious, just email me at info at drcarolpen.com. All right, y'all. It is about time. Without further ado, drum roll, please. Drum roll, please. 
I'm going to introduce our friend and our guest, Dr. Ian Cyrus. All right. So now I'm going to put on my glasses for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the, you know, the, the, you know, the bios and fine print here because there's so much, so much to this amazing human being. So I will go ahead. I like to bring my guest on stage so, you know, we can kind of, you know, watch them blush a little bit, you know, when, where they really hear, you know, who they are and how they've contributed. All right. So there he is. So Dr. Ian, he's a native of Trinidad and Tobago, is a former U.S. Marine and FBI special agent. He earned a BS in sports medicine and an MS in biomechanics from Temple University and is a certified athletic trainer. Since young adulthood, he has had several long-term apprenticeships under some well-known masters. He is a graduate of the International School of Shiatsu of Doyletown, Pennsylvania. He graduated with honors from the Tri-State College of Acupuncture in New York, where he earned an MS in acupuncture oriental medicine and is a member of the advisory board. He also graduated from Pacific College of Oriental Medicine, where he earned a doctorate of acupuncture in Chinese medicine, integrative medicine. He is currently a faculty member at the Juan Institute of Graduate Studies in Pennsylvania, a graduate program in acupuncture and oriental medicine. He's a founder and innovator of oriental medicine, physical medicine, OMPM, a unique approach to myofascial pain and dysfunction and musculoskeletal pain. He is board certified by the National Commission for the Certification of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, and he has been in practice for over 20 years. And you all, there is much, much more, but I am going to let Dr. Ian come on and say hello to you, because I know you're all going to have questions and we are going to get in it. So welcome back, Dr. Ian. Hi. Good morning. (laughs) Happy Sunday. (laughs) Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. So, wow. Here we are on where we are in this sort of global experience that we're having with the pandemic. Um, You know, both of us are involved with the care of, of, of the human and mind, body, and spirit. What are some of the things that you are seeing in your neck of the woods and in your practice? Hello, Miss Kenya. Great Sunday, Dr. Carolyn, Dr. Ian. Welcome, welcome. I love all things Eastern medicine. I'm so excited to hear from him. We're excited to have you here, Kenya. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, Well, for the past uh, couple of years, what I'm seeing is less uh, complaints of pain and more complaints about people just not feeling emotionally grounded. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, our world is being assaulted uh, on many levels. You know, I mean, there's so much division in our world, you know, Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal black versus white, you know, and these divisions are getting worse. Mm-hmm. And th- there are reasons for that. Uh, of course, we have this pandemic that's still looming over us. But 
you know, and then we have all these problems with uh, with uh, global warming and 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 what have you. And one of the things that that they don't talk about when you listen to mass media is the fa is the fact that there are things going on. Um, there are things going on that they don't talk about. And one of the things that they don't talk about is this whole concept of Schumann's resonance. And what is Schumann's resonance? Basically, um, the, the Earth has a magnetosphere that produces an electromagnetic pulse. And it was historically measured at about 7.83 Hertz. And within the last couple of years, it's gone from 7.83 Hertz to over hundred Hertz. So what that means is that, is that, and our brain wave patterns and our brain function is inextricably linked to this resonance. So it's gone from 7.83 to over hundred Hertz within a very short period of time. So when you see a lot of people with depression and anxiety and, and 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 having anger issues and shooting up the public and what have you, that's part of the effect of Schumann's resonance. They're not going to tell you that, okay? So um, for those of us who are involved in mind mindfulness and mind body, you know, um, practice, you'll find that people like us are much better prepared to deal with this this thing. And this is also connected to this whole global warming um, problem that they think that human beings are contributing to. Well, the, the, if you look at the five space agencies on, on, in our world, which is the, you know NASA and the Russian, Chinese, Japanese, and Indian space agencies, if you were to query their websites, they've been talking about this stuff for a long time. It's just that nobody pays attention to them. I mean, when was the last time you go to you went to NASA's website and browsed around? Only, as my son puts it, only a geek like me would do that. <laughs> but, but at any rate, <laughs> they've been talking about this stuff forever, and 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 this is cyclical. What we're experiencing now happened twelve thousand years ago. It's a cycle, and the degree to which us humans are contributing to global warming, which affects our quality of life. Um, is is minimal, minimal compared to really what's happening. And if, and if you pay attention to what these agencies are saying, is that there's been an increase in um, uh, solar flare activity, which is basically radiation. Mm -hmm. Okay, solar radiation, and that can cause all kinds of problems in our cognitive function. It, 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 the planet is heating up, just like every other planet in our 52 star cluster system is heating up. So it's not just this planet that are experiencing, quote unquote, this warming trend. Every planet in our, in our solar system is experiencing the same thing. Mm. So, so how much do we as humans, of course, we can clean up our act. That's true. But... Um, the degree to which we're contributing, from what I can tell by doing a query about this, is probably maybe six percent. So the, uh, the other the ninety four percent is is universal, mm -hmm. actually. So when I see clients in my uh, in in my practice, patients in my practice, the thing that I find myself 
focusing more on is this sense of, uh, and the best way I can put it, they, you know, these people are discombobulated. They, 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 you know, all of this, oh, I just really don't feel right. Never mind the fact that they, with, that they supposedly came to see me for low back pain or neck pain or some kind of myofascial problem. The fact is, is that that's the thing I, I, I hear about the most. And people are angry and don't know why they're angry about what, mm -hmm. right? So, yes. And so now we're seeing the, the that emotional, the, the psycho-spiritual uh, or the spiritual physiological aspect that's coming through because I'm also seeing similar things, you know, angry patients, demanding patients, uh, you know, no matter, you know, what, you know, what they're seeking me out for, whether it's the work that I do with the Federal Qualified Healthcare Center or the work that I do um, through my, you know, health and wellness um, education programs. And just to remind our audience that this show is about information, health and wellness education. This does not constitute a patient-doctor relationship with either Dr. Ian or myself. And I refer people, you know, have these conversations with the medical professionals that you do have these relationships with. And you might find that, you know, they might not have information, but that's all right. Ask anyway, push them. And that just might make them seek out some additional information and training that they might need so they can be the best practitioner that they can be. So, hey, and welcome, Renee. We have Renee and Mitch. We have some other first-time viewers that are joining us this morning, and I'm so excited for them to be here. So we just jumped right off into it, into this resonance and, you know, being out, being um, non-synchronous with, with the earth. So that's a deep concept, but let's pull it back a little bit. And I'm going to give our participants a chance to get in. So as we're going, stepping into the month of November, my theme is around quality of life and also the theme of releasing or letting go. We see in nature, if you live in a place where there are seasons, this is the season of release, right? Where the trees are releasing their beautiful leaves as their life cycle is is revolving through this place where they're getting ready for deep rest. So it is this the season is telling us what we as humans also need to be doing. And it's also talking about quality of life. So I would just like to see in the chat, when I ask, what is quality of life? What does that mean to our audience? Go ahead and drop that in the chat. So what define quality of life for me? What does that mean? And perhaps Dr. Ian, you could share a little bit with us about what you mean with quality of life while people are writing and responding. Well, this whole concept of quality of life is, is something that I, I think that we as a human uh, race, Homo sapiens sapien, has been uh, battling and struggling with ever since the beginning of time as we know it. But the question is, what is quality of life? And, and that is an evolving concept. You know, what, what may be what what do you mean by quality of life is it is it is that a positive thing is it a negative thing i mean what is it really so you know as a 
as a Buddhist, I can tell you that that the founder or the or the creator of Buddhism, that exactly was his was his ministry. It was about quality of life, and he came at a time when when you know there was much turmoil in his world, and he he addressed it in a very direct social way, and in doing so, he framed or created the Four Noble Truths, which really, you know, is a misnomer, really. You hear people talk about Four Noble Truths. That is a metaphysical um, claim that he's, that he's making. There are no metaphysical truth claims that he made, but it's not the Four Noble Truths, but truths that are practiced by those who are noble, which reduces the community down to a considerable few, right? Um, and then he, he, he framed what's known as the Eightfold Noble Path. And if you look at the language of this stuff, it, it says, well, first of all, let me quickly tell you what the Four Noble Truths are for those of you who don't know what it is. He, he saw himself as a physician, a doctor, a healer, nothing more. So this paradigm of the Four Noble Truths, it's a medical paradigm that addressed what the social conditions were at the time. So he talked about dukkha, which simply in Sanskrit means pain or suffering. And that could be anywhere from this feeling in your body that life isn't quite right to excruciating emotional, mental, physical, spiritual pain. So it's a continuum. The, the, the second of the Four Noble Truths is uh, tanha, which is craving or clinging or attachment. And he saw that as, the, as, the, as, as, as an important concept to embrace. And just like Dr. Carroll says, this whole concept of release is, is, is germane to that concept of tanha or craving, because just like the trees release their leaves, we have to learn as human beings to release whatever we're, we're holding on to. And the, the third of the Four Noble Truths is, uh, is basically identifying what the remedy is to deal with this pain. And the fourth one is the Eightfold Noble Path, where there's eight steps, but a lot of people, when they read these eight steps, they, they tend to take them in succession, but that's not how it should be viewed. It should be viewed as an interactive thing, like the eight points of a compass eh, that's a constantly revolving. So that's the Four Noble Truths. But more important, that, that, that more important than the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path is what's known as the Eight Task. I mean, the Four Task. And what the Four Task is, is that suffering is to be, is to be fully known and understood and embraced. In other words, say yes to what is. Whatever is coming at you in life, say yes to it. Embrace it. Don't run away from it. Because the only way through life is, is exactly that, through it, not around it. Okay? Mm -hmm. So he said, he says, basically, unless I accomplish these four tasks, liberation or what we would call enlightenment here in the West, it's not possible. Mm -hmm. Okay? So... Again, the first of the four tasks is that suffering 
for whatever that means, is to be fully known, embraced, and understood. The second would be what arises is to be let go of. So here is that release, that letting go of, okay? The third is that ceasing is to be beheld. In other words, you have to see for yourself that you're able to let go of whatever it is you need to let go of, like the trees and and, and our very lives are demonstrating this, this, this act of letting go, but we, we tend to hold on to things and, and that creates pain and suffering. And, you know, this letting go part of it is really what the Buddha identified as nirvana. We, now we here in the West, we use the term nirvana and we, we, we frame it as this, place of bliss that you exist in forever and a day. That's not what nirvana is. Right. Nirvana basically is, is in a space where you're able to let go of whatever it is that you're facing and, and live in that space of non-reactivity. Because we're all reacting, you know, most of my clients, they walk into my office and they're reacting to this, they're reacting to that, reacting to that. Everybody's reacting to what's coming at them. You know, they're driving to my office and somebody cuts them off and they get angry and they want to curse the person out and that kind of stuff. When you cease reactivity, which is an important concept in Buddhism, and you be able to exist in a non-reactive state, that is nirvana. Okay. And the fourth thing he talked about was that the way is to be cultivated and developed. The way, meaning, I guess, the, full, the Eightfold Noble Path he's talking about. In other words, you have to choose a path that makes sense. Um, they talk about right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. But the term right is, I don't think it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. It's more appropriate view because you know, when you're looking at something, just the fact that you're looking at it changes the nature of it. You understand that? Exactly. Right intention. Now it's appropriate intention because everything is in, taken within context. Whatever the context might be, whatever you do in terms of the Eightfold Noble Path is has to be appropriate in that time and space, and that's it, okay? So the Buddha was addressing, addressing quality of life in a very practical, fundamental way. But um, so asking what quality of life means to you yeah, you know, I'm interested in seeing what. <laughs> well, yeah, here goes. Here goes. Let's, we will go ahead and share. Let me just see. I'll bring up some of the comments. So Kenya saying quality of life for me is richness in time, health and my experiences in quality relationships. It's great food, great health and time freedom to enjoy it all. So we have from. Or, do, or did you want to comment back to Kenya? Well, you know, uh, and again, that's, that's unique to her point of view, which is the first of the 
a full noble path is right view. So it's the right view for her. Yes. And that's the, and that's the important thing. Um, uh, and, and we'll get to that, this whole concept of meditation, right? And Dr. Carol yes. asked me to, to address that as well. So, um, you know, my Buddhist mentor said to me some time ago um, about us having choice. Yes. He says we have no choice. Hmm. I don't want to get into why he said that too much, but that was a very interesting statement he made. And then he used a scientific reference to prove that we don't have any choice. Interesting. My mother would often use that statement, we have no choice. And and I would often counter, but of course we have choice. You know, there's always so it's interesting. <laughs> I'll be interesting to hear that. So we have from DM how far along I am towards my intrinsic goals. We have, let's see, from Renee, thriving with purpose, passion, deep connection, and supreme well-being. Um, from, yeah. from Patricia, uh, let me see something. I don't know. It's not changing. I don't know if uh, something's going on. On So I'll read Patricia's. Um, quality of life to me means starting each day with an attitude of gratitude, practicing good self-care, exercising, eating healthy, practicing kindness, and living each day to the fullest. Yes. Uh, and that that's that's all fine. You know, I mean, we all have to decide what that means to uh, for ourselves. But here's the thing, you know, um, you know, we we here in the West, we have embraced this whole idea of mindfulness. Meditation, and that's only one of the eight full noble paths, by the way, number seven of those eight things is mindfulness and we have a whole we have organizations and and secular groups that focuses on one aspect of these things to the exclusion of others however um the term meditation i think is a western term but if you look at the root of that term in sanskrit the term meditation really does it loses its 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 meaning, and the term smriti in in Sanskrit simply means this moment. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It means this moment. So in my training as a Buddhist, it it, it, it my teacher talks about moment to moment mind. In other words, you can sit on your meditation cushion for hours at a time, and that's okay to a certain degree. But what happens is when you get off that cushion and move around in the world around you, that's really when it matters, okay? So um, being present in the moment, that moment-to-moment mind, that's a very that's the essence of meditation. And it's not just having that moment-to-moment mind, and that's what's going to increase the breadth and quality of your life, is being able to maintain that moment-to-moment mind. 
Now, we often hear in Buddhism uh, talk about the Dharma, right? The term Buddhism, by the way, didn't come about until the mid-1800s here in America. We were the ones who framed, who called what that is Buddhism. <laughs> and most people are shocked to hear that, but it's true. A publisher from New England wrote a book about the spiritual practices of the people in Ceylon. And in that book, in I think eight, in, in around 1850, you use the term Buddhism and it's stuck internationally. It's amazing how that occurs. But, <laughs> yes. But, but up until that point, this practice was simply referred to as Dharma. Mm -hmm. What is Dharma? Dharma is law or truth. And what that means in relationship to this moment to moment mind or moment mind is that you have to be fully present in the moment. And while you being very present in each moment, which is gone in an instant, that you're able to um, be the participant observer. In other words, be the observing presence. And it's whatever your five or six senses are informing you in that moment, that's the truth. And that often escapes us, you know. We talk about being in the moment, but what does that really mean, you know? So as you're in that moment, again, what's your five senses on how it's interpreting that moment, that's the truth. That's what Dharma really means. The Buddha never really clearly defined what Dharma meant. When pressed, he didn't answer the question. He just didn't respond. Mm. In other words, you know, don't talk about it, just, just be it. He didn't respond when asked, what is Dharma? Uh, which, which I found in, interesting. He, he didn't, he never clearly defined what it meant, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, as the kids would say, don't talk about it, be about it, yeah, right? Well, basically that's what he meant. Because yes. when he was asked by his disciples, well, what is Dharma? So we have a couple of more comments. I want to to just uh, to go to go back and capture. So Marianne is saying she just uh, turned in. So the principles of what? So we were discussing the four noble truths, and we're you were we're we're walking down that path of perhaps this might be for things that we can incorporate into our lives. So just to review quickly, so accepting reality as it presents itself in the moment, letting go, seeing for yourself what that you can truly let go, no reactivity, and finally, uh, conceptualizing a path in life where you can truly go forward. If I could uh, summarize uh, quickly for Marianne. And then we also have Frank Cologne in the house, world-renowned percussionist and a dear friend. And we're so happy that Frank's been able, is able to join us from Brazil this morning. Ooh. And he's saying, what follows our choices is the responsibility to follow through for as long as it makes sense or as long as necessary to improve our quality of life. And this wonderful statement here, Buddhism is not passive. <laughs> it's anything but. <laughs> yes. And um, 
we have here Dr. Kina for me it includes mindfully spreading your wings and happiness, joy, freedom, feeling safe, mental and physical health, possibly in the midst of a chronic illness that doesn't hold you down with acceptance, being able to do what you love without hesitation on purpose. And Renee, being present each moment helps me live my minutes to its fullest and so much more meaningful. We treasure each moment. Well, yes, that's the gift, the present. <laughs> yes, it is this moment to moment awareness, right? And sometimes in, in this modern era or the popularized era, we refer to it as mindfulness or mindfulness practice, where you're just cultivating this moment-to-moment -moment awareness. But here's the thing I want to add to this whole moment-to-moment -moment mind. Other than being the observing presence, there are oftentimes when your mental activity, which you don't pay attention to really, um, draws your attention to a particular thought or image, and whenever you have that reaction or that reactivity to even your own thought processes, we have this thing in, in my particular school of Buddhism known as a, uh, a koan or a kongan. And what, the, what is that? Uh, a koan or kongan is a paradoxical statement that cuts off discursive thinking. You know, when you find yourself, that internal dialogue is getting out of control. That's what a kongan does. It stops that from happening immediately. And here's an example of a kongan uh, that you may be familiar with. It's like the sound of one hand clapping, yeah. right? What, what does that mean? You know, so that stops you from this kind of this thirking, the, the discursive thought process. And that's important. But here's the here's what we're taught. Uh, um, the first question that we ask whenever we're doing that kind of observation is simply, what is this? Not that you're going to hear some voice in the universe saying, this is what it is, but it's a point of inquiry, right? So whenever you're sitting in meditation and you, you're observing your own movie so to speak and you see something that doesn't that gets your attention you simply ask what is this with your entire being and that's the mm. that's the the beginning of, of a meditation practice which we should probably do a few minutes of i guess before we I would, that sounds like a perfect segue to me for us to experience this morning on this beautiful Sunday morning, the gift of meditation collectively as, as a group. Well, here's, here's how I want you guys to do this this morning. We're only going to do this for about three minutes, and, and it's going to be interesting how this thing plays out. I don't want you to do anything special. You don't have to sit and cross your legs. You don't have to hum. You don't have to <laughs> chant. You don't have to do any, anything. The only thing I would like you all to do this morning is to sit perfectly still for three minutes and see if you can handle that. Okay? So um, so we're going to do this for three minutes, and we're going to start. Remember, again, find a position that you feel comfortable in and do not 
move. Just be completely still. Okay? No special mental activity, no, you know, whatever comes across your mind, let it come and let it go. Just be still. That's the only requirement for this meditation this morning is perfect stillness if you can manage it. Okay, here we go. Okay, <laughs> I'd like to hear some reactions to trying to be perfectly still. Yes, go ahead and put that in the chat. What, what was that like when the assignment was to sit in stillness for three minutes? All right, we have from Linda, difficult. <laughs> Yeah, anybody else? Anybody else? 
So we have someone else. No struggle and very rewarding. From Patricia, lovely to focus on my breath. That's the one thing that moved. (laughs) Yes, the one thing that was moving. Yes, it was fine today. Sometimes it isn't so easy. Sometimes it's easier when it's with a group. I just said, I, I, I know I just let myself float on the connectivity with the group. Kenya, it was great to lean into breath. Kenya, and this is Kina, I loved it, relaxed. Linda, very truthful. I found my mind wandering and I had to bring myself back. From Martha, I meditate, but the Lord knows my heart. I do deep and cleansing breaths. I am outside. Ah, Renee, I didn't realize how hard this was. So quite a range of responses there, Dr. Ian. Yeah, but the interesting thing about that is that, you know, we, we live in a culture and a world that everybody's busy. <laughs> to the extent when people ask me, well, you know, Ian, you're so busy. I'm like, no, I'm just fully engaged. <laughs> oh, I love that response. I love that. I'm going to borrow that one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because busy to me has this negative connotation to it, and 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 you know my you know we create our lives right. We we all create what we are. As man thinketh, so is he. So uh, we have to take responsibility. In other words, for um, for where we find ourselves, and not not engage in blame or anything like that, but. Being able to sit still to me, you know, that was the first thing I learned in, in meditation, just simply being able to sit still. All of these other mindfulness exercises came much longer afterwards. You know, so uh, try just being still. You know, that's uh, saying there's movement and stillness and stillness and movement is an important concept to grasp. The thing is, is that both of those things are the same. Yes, yes, okay? yes. They are the same. So, In yoga, we tell people the my favorite pose in yoga is Shavasana, which, you know, that's to die to oneself. And that mm-hmm. speaks that concept of there is motion and stillness and stillness in motion. And I also love how you are using uh, a discerning line between busyness and fully engaged. So busyness to me implies like, you know, like a chicken running around with their head cut off, kind of out of control, you know, here, there. And sometimes busy from the outside in looks good. And people, you know, wow. And so there's a difference between busyness, productivity, and fully engaged and walking in the center of your purpose in life. People often ask me, how is it that you do all the things that you do? And I say, it's not related to the calendar or the clock. It's related to being in the center of my purpose of life. And then these things unfold 
when it's when I'm not walking in my center that my activity uh, collapses into busyness. That is, again, it's still from the outside looking in might look good, but it's, it's, it's not productive. It's not wholesome. Whereas when I'm in my center, when I'm in my purpose in life, it's, it is productive. It is fruitful. And there, there is no linear time. That concept just, it doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist because the, you know, being in the moment, so to speak, or maintaining that moment to moment mind becomes the simple history of your life. Because this moment informs the past and the future. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so that's that you know because busy has is is you know what I talked about with the Buddha, he addressed that as a form of suffering. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we're constantly in a state of reactivity, reacting to this, reacting to that, reacting. Oh God, I didn't pay this bill. Blah 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 blah. You know. So, so basically, we all have to slow down. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Kenya is saying there's movement and stillness and stillness and movement. They are the same. Marianne, giving credit to Dr. Carol, who provided daily meditation last year during COVID. So I improved the discipline. Yes. 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 Thank you. Thank you. It's my, my pleasure indeed to serve in that way. Busyness converts fully engaged. (laughs) Yes. What, you know, a powerful concept, powerful, powerful concept. So now I don't want to get away from this. You said you had a mentor who spoke to you about there is no choice. You want me to address that? I'm, 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 you can't get away with that. You got to come back. With that. <laughs> what was he meaning by that? Well, yes, what he, and I, and subsequently I did my research and I understood what he meant. <laughs> but here's what happened. I think in 2008, there was a research study done by a group from MIT, I believe Harvard and Duke University about how the human brain responds to images of violence versus images of peace and love and serenity and what have you. So they conducted a pretty large study where they would wire people's heads up to MRIs and blah, 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 to monitor brain activity. And on the screen, they would flash images of violence versus images of, you know, serenity and peace and love and stuff like that. But what they've that's not what they were looking for, and that's what they found, right? So they identified that certain areas of the brain was very active during these disparate presentations. What they found, though, by accident, was that the brain was responding to images seven seconds before the image appeared on the screen. So if you do if you google this it's a 7 second time delay that that in other words your brain was downloading this information 7 seconds before you even conceived of it So therein lies the whole and, and this is a peer reviewed science this isn't something that's just fringe it actually occurred and um so do we really have choice or are we just are we just an information download mechanism that's 
downloading information from, say, the Akashic Records, which holds all of the collective knowledge of the universe, right? So that's where that that's where that came from, and this whole idea about choice. And the Buddha addressed that because if you look at his beginnings, he had what's known as the four sightings when he left his protected compound. He went out there and he saw he saw suffering, he saw death, he saw aging, he saw these things. But even though Buddhism is supposed to address these things, those are those four sightings or those four things that no matter what, you succumb to it. You're going to be born, you're going to age, you're going to get ill, you're going to die. <laughs> so, but while that's a reality, the quality of your life could be much improved by those things that we've talked about during this past hour. Okay. Absolutely. And isn't that a beautiful thing? You know, this is what we have, you know, it's our human contract. <laughs> so I do understand and no choice. We don't have a choice about that. Once we have, the cycle has been set into motion, birth, aging, illness, death. It's been set into motion. It's inevitable. It's an inevitable type of, of karma that is going to uh, occur within this human life cycle. And yet the quality of our life could be elevated through these four steps. And that's what we're, that's what we're talking about. Uh, so Marianne is saying life cycle, use it well, or possibly lose it early. So true. Mm -hmm. I think that our consciousness remembers when our ancestors are afraid of things that we have never had a scary interaction with, i.e. snakes and spiders. Yet there is that energetic imprint, right? That, the, that those resonance, those imprints that carry down and that get do pass on intergenerationally. That's true. People say, well, you know, I'm afraid of dogs and they've never had a negative interaction with a dog. You know, where does that come from? It's, uh, it comes from our DNA. Yes. But what they have shown also through scientific research is that our DNA is an information storage device that gets passed on from one generation to another. And and what they and they have actually toyed with this in a very interesting way. One gram of DNA can can download can contain seven terabytes of information. Now, one terabyte is the equivalent of 7,000 gigabytes. That's a lot of information that, a D, that DNA can store and, and it being passed on from one generation to another. So when you talk about epigenetics and why certain groups experience certain things, it, it's encoded in our DNA. Absolutely encoded in our DNA. And that's one of the things where people who work with me, I really work on people understanding and the individual understanding their purpose of life or putting a, a framework around it. And I also tell them, you, it's impossible. You cannot fulfill your purpose in life. And you can live your life not knowing what your purpose is, but you cannot not fulfill it because it's fulfilled in the aspect of that your DNA is being passed on. It's all there. We are born with it. it is all the history of all mankind is in each 
lives in each cell of our body at all times, every single moment. Your consciousness cannot realize, but that does not mean that you don't fulfill. So in that way, each human life does fulfill their purpose in life, which is kind of a deep concept. (laughs) It certainly is. (laughs) And so listen, you all, as always, my guests are so extraordinarily generous with being able to reach them. This is how you can reach Dr. Ian. You see it scrolling across the bottom and there's his website. He's given his Gmail so you can email him and there is his office phone number. So if you have a further inquiry, this is how you can reach him. I know it's like, I I, I have a, a wonderful relationship with Dr. Ian. I don't mind sharing with people. As a matter of fact, I, I joyfully share with people that Dr. Ian is my acupuncturist. And I say that I have the relationship and the energetic imprint with, with people that I have who have treated me in this way is it's very, it's very deep. And it's the type of relationship where I feel like, oh, if I don't connect with him for one week or for one year, whenever we do connect, it is, it is very deep and it's a healing relationship. And there's a, a reciprocity there that is very, very powerful. So yes, absolutely. We're yes. part of each other's we're part of each other's reality tunnel. All right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> part of each other's reality tunnel. And so I'm I'm also trying to encourage people and all of our viewers who is part of your reality tunnel, because relationships are as medicine to us. And is it this, are you getting the side effects that you desire from those relationships or are you getting some side effects that you don't desire? But that energetic imprint, it's powerful, it's real, it's tangible. So who are you cultivating in your reality tunnel? We are all each other's medicine, whether you have a, you know, doctor patient relationship, all that, all the titles fade away and think about what is the resonance? What is the residue that is left when you step away from a relationship, when you reflect back on it? It's all medicine. It's all medicine. Amen. (laughs) So yes, yes. Oh, so here. So from Marianne images, we watch slaves being attacked by dogs. That could be a good, yes, we did. We have that. All of that is part of our energetic imprint. And, and, and all of that has to be healed in layers on an ongoing basis. Renee is saying, love that our individual purpose. Uh, So Patricia, thanks Dr. Ian and Dr. Carol for another great Sunday program. I appreciate you both sharing your wisdom with us. So yes, Patricia, you're welcome. The desired effect is what you get when you improve your interplanetary presence. Love, we are all each other's medicine. Thank you, doctors. Enjoyable. So 
Listen, just one more invitation. Those of you that are interested in talking to me a little bit more about the Wild Fit 90 Day Challenge, one of my components in terms of my approach of working with people is understanding food as medicine and how do I get you all to understand that food is medicine and the energetic imprint from that. So go ahead and, and reach out to me and because um, that challenge is going to start next Sunday. And I will definitely get you the dates and the information to that. Dr. Ian, as always, the hour has flown by. Thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much for being here. And right away, when is Dr. Ian coming back? (laughs) I will be sending Dr. Ian the dates for season number seven. And as you know, I, I, I want him on each and every season. So Dr. Ian will be back with us in the deep rest center, the restorative center of winter. <laughs> and that season is going to be kicking off on December 19th. All right. All right. So uh, Dr. Keena says, this was too short. I'm fully engaged. <laughs> All right. I'm going to have Kenny Brazil Hamilton play us off. Dr. Ian, hang out in the green room with us for a moment. And we will see next Sunday. Next Sunday is our panel on nutrition and lifestyle and food. Be sure to tune in and we'll be debuting um, a food policy from Lunch Break Incorporated. So listen, tune in next week. Food is medicine and tune into that very important show. All right, you all. See you on the 14th. Weightless, weightless, no matter what people say, you're full of greatness, greatness. Time you opened up your eyes, you were courageous, courageous. If only they could see you going through your paces, it's amazing. Weightless, no matter what people say, you're full of greatness, Going through your paces It's amazing